As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to Better Than Life, the episode-by-episode breakdown of Red Dwarf. I'm John, co-host and lapsed Red Dwarf devotee. And I'm Fergus, your other co-host and constant fan of the Small Rouge one. Every episode, we're joined by a joke monger who loves Red Dwarf, and together, we'll scour a classic episode for sci-fi comedy treasure. Luckily, producer Alex is with us to make sure the really stupid stuff is cut out and kept, I assume, for blackmailing purposes. This time, we're rounding out series one with a personal favourite, episode six, Me Squared, with Nick Helm. For the last time this series, John? Let's get out there and totally nail it. It's a show about a man who's lost three million years in space. His company and evolved cat and a hologram he hates. Plus a fuzzy robot and a ship that's gone senile. We love the jokes and sci-fi stuff that's wide. It's better than Our guest today is an award-winning comedian, writer, actor, and a musician, a quadruple threat. But of course, the most important thing on this podcast, Nick Helm. Do you like Red Dwarf? Do you like Red Dwarf? Do you like Red Dwarf? (laughs) And I apologise for stealing your bit. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I do like Red Dwarf. Yes, I do. When did it all begin for you? I remember being, uh, I was born in 1980, so I remember being in primary school it was probably about season three. I didn't. I didn't start watching it then. Uh-huh. I think I sort of like saw something on telly, which retrospectively must have been maybe Polymorph. Yeah, is that the one when he's dressed up as RoboCop? It turns out he's very little. That's right. So I think I remember vaguely seeing a bit of that, but I didn't really. I didn't. I didn't watch it because I thought it was. Um, I thought it was like grown up and rude, and I was a bit like, oh no. And then when the fifth season started, that's when I actually started watching it. And um, I remember the first episode that I saw was, it would have been Hollow Ship. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. I still to this day think that season five and six of Red Dwarf are the best. Uh, like, I think five is like the most complete, amazing series. And I, I, and I prefer to call them series as well. But five is like the best series. And then six did so many good things with it. And, and the ending was almost like Blackadder goes forth. And I just found it really emotional. Yeah. But, but in the gap between five and six, I'd bought all the books and I was reading this magazine and I was writing my own Red Dwarf like plays and sketches and stuff. And awesome. I had so many Red Dwarf t-shirts. Did you have the full on like let's get out there and twat it? Yeah I had that one I had the twat it t-shirt because twat wasn't a rude word it must have been. I found Smeg ruder than twat. <laughs> a lot of people didn't know. I was like a 12 year old boy with the word twat written on his t-shirt it was just like it was huge as well and I think that they reprinted the t-shirt with another word on it i can't remember what the word was <laughs> but i literally i must have I, I think i had like um like a different red dwarf t-shirt for every day of the of the, like i think i probably had about 20 red dwarf t-shirts so definitely the fifth season was just sort of like what i followed and then i guess they would have repeated like maybe the fourth series and then i was get i had braces at the time yeah and um, I had to go to Hemel. I was living in St Albans, um, and uh, we'd have to go to Hemel Hempstead to get my braces tightened. And on the way past, uh, on the way from the orthodontist to the car park or whatever, there was like an R price, and to shut me up, my mum would. It was like every, <laughs> like every every couple of months or something, and and I would get like a 
uh, bite one or a bite two of a thing. And so I was collecting it by like having my teeth straightened. <laughs> series one was almost sort of like legendary because I think series two, they were re- releasing them kind of like in a weird order. But series one was kind of like, does it even exist anymore? And right, uh, yeah. in this magazine, they were kind of like, they made a big thing about the fact that, which was sort of like a monthly um, fan magazine, which had like comic strips and stuff in it. And um, they used to do like comic strips based on the scripts. Mm. And the comic strips that they did were so huge in kind of like scope. They were like, the way that they drew the ship was kind of like, felt like this absolutely massive kind of like, um, like shopping mall. And there were, do you know what I mean? It was kind of like, there was like no budget. restraints to the imagination so you kind of like go through the first um the first series is in comic book form and you go wow what's this going to be like and when you get it you realize it's very much like series two yes (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) it's extraordinary though isn't it whenever they whenever they were out of the bounds of budget you see what was really in their heads and it was epic stuff wasn't it yeah 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 but also also they had like a a good idea per episode do you know what i mean there was sort of like there was a science it was like star trek where there was a really solid idea behind every episode that they could hang kind of like the jokes on and i think kind of like in the later series maybe they haven't kind of like got that balance exactly right where maybe it felt a little bit more science fiction than comedy in places or sometimes it's a bit more broad and a bit more comedic than science fiction but i think in the early days they really got that balance right definitely the first six series were the ones that i kind of like followed the most and i still got a lot of affection for it i've been to see it recorded and i've met doug naylor and I went to see one episode of, I can't remember what season it was, it was maybe season 11, and I went to see one, one one episode of that get recorded, and on my way out, I went past like a production office, and Chris Barry was saying goodbye to the production team, and I just, uh, you know, Chris Rimmer was always my favourite, and Chris Barry is, you know, I think he's he, I think he's brilliant, and I, I, I tapped him on the shoulder, and I just introduced myself, and I just said, I'm such a big fan of his, and he was so lovely. And, what was he? Uh, oh, that's yeah, nice to hear. He was so so lovely. Chris Barry's lovely. Yeah, I just, uh, I've just been like a fan all my life. And you have like a weird relationship with things that go on for 30 years of your life. But series five, I think, is definitively the best series. What is it about series five for you that elevates it above the rest? I think when you watch series five and then you go back to series four, you can literally see it evolve. Mm, yeah, yeah. Series one and two were fairly similar to each other, even to the point where they they were taking the piss out of the fact that everything was grey and they painted the the birthday cakes grey and all the beer cans were painted grey and everything was painted grey in the first two series because they were like... Um, part of it was budgetary restraints and part of it was that they were sort of, you know, taking the piss out of cheap BBC science fiction series. So it sort of like went hand in hand. But when the third series came along and, and they started kind of like putting a bit more money behind it, it was like a big step up. And then series four was just like, well, this is great. And then series five didn't feel cheap anymore. Series five felt like, oh, it's great. Even stuff like Lister's hat looked better. <laughs> Rimmer's costume looked better. Uh, like Rimmer's red red costume was, I preferred it to his green costume, but maybe that was the first one that I was introduced. Like the concepts behind series five were all great. I mean, uh, what was it? So there was Hollow Ship, then there was the Inquisitor, and then there was, uh, was it Demons and Angels? Um, and then there was, uh, there was, uh, that's terraform the, quarantine terraform. quarantine terraform quarantine and then what was the last episode oh better than, uh back, back to, to reality, reality. Yeah. yeah and yeah. what an absolutely incredible series every single episode was just brilliant yeah i just I, I just i just i just really loved it and then when they get to series six it's almost like well why is rimmer's costume now all kind of like quilted yeah, that quilted red business. Mm. Yeah, that was. And I could I could understand the leap between one and two and three because it was like a big change. But then when you're getting into like and now everything's just being upgraded, and then when you get to seven, there was a huge gap, wasn't there? There was like a five year gap in between six and seven. It was quite a big jump. Yeah, yeah. It was at least at least three years, I think. Yeah. And I think seven was when they started using uh, CGI spaceships, and uh, the, yeah. the CGI wasn't really up there yet. And part of what I loved about it was all the model work because they're tangible. Do you know what I mean? They're real things, and it sort of went in a direction where they were trying to be legitimate science fiction. I think, and um, I liked the science fiction element of it but i loved the comedy element of it it's the difference between blackadder and blackadder 2 
Mm. Yeah. With Blackadder, they're all on like they're all on like legitimate sets with like castles in the background and they're in fields and it's all on location and it's fine, but it's not really that that great. And then <laughs> when it's all constrained to being in three sets, mm. all of a sudden the comedy comes alive and 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 you believe it all. But um and it's kind of like they did it the opposite way around with Red Dwarf was they got more and more money and then eventually they were, were out. Was the seventh series the one when they were in the prison or was that the eighth series? That's eight. Seven is the one where they eschewed a live audience. That's right, yeah. And filmed it on... Yeah, and Rimmer Leaves. And Rimmer Leaves, yeah. Which is a terrible idea. What's Lester without Rimmer? Do you know what I mean? It was. Yeah, I always yeah. think that Rimmer's always been sort of a little bit like downgraded in terms of importance it's all about list of the last human where it's really it's about both of them they're like a they're like an odd couple yeah and it's not like it's not the lister show it's like it's them two and then they've got like the supporting cast i remember as a kid i was into lister as a character but my favorite character to watch was always rimmer like he's got so much more juice comedically and 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 like even as an as an 11 year old i found him fascinating oh yeah and also you liked him i think in spite of it, yeah. He's, he's like Partridge like that, where you kind of like, he's obviously a buffoon, but you actually really like him. That's what I think. And I think also, I love Craig, I love all of the cast. I think they're all brilliant. And I love Craig Charles. And I think Craig Charles is playing kind of like a version of Craig Charles. Whereas mm. Chris Barry is this incredible comedic performer. It's a bit like uh, Seinfeld, where Seinfeld wasn't kind of like the greatest uh, actor but he's surrounded by all of yes. these comedians mm, really and I think true. Craig yeah. Charles is a really great lead and he improves so much as you as you go through from the first two series by the time you get into like uh, four five and six you know he's incredible but I think Rimmer was always kind of like this force to be reckoned with I thought he was yeah he was always good everyone else sort of caught up with him and then he left why did he leave? He left to do Tomb Raider, did he? I think it was a bit before Tomb Raider. Was it Prince Among Men? It may have been actually God. Is it? Is it not one of those kind of mid-career crises where you go, if I don't leave now, I'm only going to be known for this one thing? And then he left and went. Actually, I'm okay being known as that one thing and came back again. Yeah, I, th- I think I think he's, he's well within his right to sort of like go off and try and do different things. I just think it was just a mistake to try and do it without him. And and if it was a scheduling thing, then I think he was basically given his own sitcom. He'd done British Empire. He'd been given his own sitcom. It was just like, right, this is a new chapter. I'm going to do this. And then he went off to... I don't know if he went to Hollywood or if they came to him and then he did Tomb Raider. But you, do you know what I mean? And then he was just kind of like, actually, I quite liked having the regular work and doing it, you know. People's people's careers are complicated. <laughs> they are. Well, but, I mean, a lot of it might be about Grant and Naylor not being together either. Like, it's, it, it might not be a coincidence that, that Chris Barry left in the series after Grant and Naylor had split. Maybe. Yeah, you'd, you'd miss the writing, wouldn't you? But he would have made the decision to go before Seven. So, yeah, maybe it does come down to that. Who knows? I think it's just probably just... It felt like the right time to sort of move on. And I also feel like... That's what I mean about Rimmer being such a good character, is when he sort of tries to save the day at the end of Series 6, you feel like this is his character coming full circle. It was emo- it was really emotional. I was like absolutely heartbroken by it. And, um, uh, and it was kind of like the send off that that character needed. I thought it was a really good end. And then, and then, and then it, because it took so long for the next series to come along, it, it felt, it felt slightly different. I had to do a Q and A during the Edinburgh festival. Maybe it was series 11. And I hosted a Q&A where I interviewed Doug Naylor, Craig Charles, and I think it was Robert Llewellyn. I think it was those three. And uh, we screened an episode from Series 11, which I think was the first episode. It was the one where Hitler comes along and plays guitar. I remember saying in front of the audience, you know, I think that's as good an episode as there's ever been in Red Dwarf. I just thought, you know, it was it was a real strong one. And we watched it. I've never seen Red Dwarf with an audience. Do you know what I mean? It's like you watch it at home and you, you know, and I used to watch it. I was the only person in my house that watched it. So I'd sit cross-legged in front of the TV with my VHSs and I'd, I'd, I would watch it every day. When Series 6 came out, I'd record it. I think it came out on Thursday nights. I'd record it on Thursday nights. I'd watch it and record it on Thursday nights and I'd wake up early for school and I would watch it before school and I would think about it all day and I'd watch it as soon as I got home after school. So within a 24-hour period, I'd watched it three or four times. Were there people at school who had watched it as well? That you could... No. 
I was a lonely child. Um, <laughs> um, Have you got a favourite episode you could pick out of the whole Of the whole canon? lot? I think Inquisitor's really great. Mm. And ho- I thought Hollow Ship was brilliant. I think maybe that was that was part of the problem with my perception of Red Dwarf was my first episode was Hollow Ship, which was a very Rimmer-centric episode. I did When I watched it, because when you go back and they reintroduce all the characters at the beginning of every episode and they say, well, this is the cat and he's like, uh, he's evolved from uh, Lister's pet and this is Rimmer and he's a hologram. You know, they don't do that later on. So I didn't know what the H stood for. Mm. I didn't know, um, you know, everyone was talking about like Lister being the last human, but those pointy teeth that the cat is wearing, they're so subtle that it's just kind of like, well, who's he then? <laughs> so it was, it, it, it kind of like took me like a, a bit of time to work out what their, all their relationships were and everything. And my first proper episode was Hollow Ship. And that was about Rimmer and him finding love and Jane Horrocks mm. is in it. And she's incredible. She's and it was such, it's such a good episode. But, it's, but that's like as close to Star Trek as it sort of gets, I think, Hollow yeah, Ship. Yeah. And, then, and then it's got like this... Um, a tragic love story that you know it doesn't it doesn't work out for Rimmer and he he's like this romantic lead. Also in series five, they got him to take his top off a lot, didn't they? Do you remember in um, buff year? Yeah, he was like <laughs> the, what? What was the episode uh, Terraform when he's like chained up on a wall wearing a loincloth? Right, yeah, and yeah, he's yeah. he's all oiled up and it's just kind of like. Do we think that was Chris Barry asking asking Grant and Naylor to give him a sexy couple of scenes? It might have been all that time he was spending at the leisure centre where he'd kind of like <laughs> he'd got all buff and then he was just like, do you know what? I'm going to take my top off a lot in this series. I'm now going to ask you the the toughest question that we ask anyone on this podcast, which is if you had to recast the show let's say they were remaking it who would you cast okay well that's that's i mean uh, just cast yourself nick <laughs> that's true well i i am dave lister aren't i so <laughs> why not but i also think that why would you why would you take that character and whitewash it yeah that's that's a really good point it's <laughs> a good point that was one. Of, that was one of the things you know you had kind of like a, a sitcom in a sitcom set in space where two of uh, the main characters were black and they never mentioned it. Yes, absolutely. It wasn't kind of like lauded for being cutting edge and it wasn't kind of her chastised for being woke or trying to do anything. It was just sort of like they just did it and and it wasn't political. It was just like these are the best guys for the job and it's lasted 30 years and it's just kind of like... And it should have a lot more respect for kind of like being a trailblazer like that. That's really true. Yeah, absolutely. It's really true. It's weird that it's weird that it's not a thing that gets... Not mentioned. I mean, it'd be, it would be a bit weird if Grant and Naylor were like, guys, we put people of colour in our, our series. It'd be like, yeah, all right. But, <laughs> but it's weird that other people don't say it and point it out more. <laughs> oh, do you know what? Ed Gamble would be a good rimmer. Wow. He would, yeah. Yeah, that's a great choice. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great choice. Okay, so we've got Nick Helm as Lister. We've got Ed Gamble as River. I like it. Why not? What direction would you want to go in with, with Cat? Do you want to go sort of full uh, Andy Circus motion capture, taking advantage of modern technology, or would you... Uh, no. no. How, would that, how would that be? I don't know how that would improve the comedy. Do you know what I mean? I'm not sure it would. Uh, I really don't like this game. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you're going, to, yeah. you're going to make Marooned with yourself and Ed Gamble, and frankly, I would watch it. <laughs> I don't think I would cast myself as Lister. I think I could, I could do it, but yeah, you'd hope that I someone just... else cast you. <laughs> oh yeah, sure, that would be the ultimate compliment if somebody else did it. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about me squared. Before we get into it. Uh, Fergus is going to just do us a quick pricey to remind us all what happens in Me Squared. Thanks, John. We start with a very 80s after eight gag from Holly. On the ship, Rimmer's moving out of the shared bunk room, and while packing his stuff, Lister finds a video of Rimmer's death. Weird. For like the 10th time this series, we come back to Rimmer's complete lack of accountability for his own failure, blaming Lister's annoying him for his abject lack of success. But Rimmer's painted himself into a bit of a corner by choosing the one bunkmate he can't or won't blame for his rubbishness, himself. We get a lovely bit of split screen fun as we see the Rimmers interacting, double the self-satisfied awfulness. Cat, meanwhile, is feeling very, very sexy to the point of denial. He's cruising the ship for some female company, but that's the whole of that scene. We cut to Lister, enjoying having the room to himself with a lovely monologue. 
and it culminates in him watching Rimmer's death video. Morbid stuff if you're not too busy going, oh hey, they got Matt McDonald back as Hollister for this tiny little cameo, that's cool. Then the bomb is dropped. Rimmer's last words as he disintegrated were, gazpacho soup. Cat's weird in a scene again. Then Holly pulls yet another prank on Lister, another attempt to keep Lister sane by torturing him. It's a theme. It becomes clear over the next few amazing scenes that Rimmer can't live with himself. That's what a metaphor's for, right? Lister Ippy dips one of the Rimmers for execution, or so that Rimmer thinks. The marginally nicer Rimmer drinks four holographic whiskey and lemonades and produces a brilliant end of series monologue. His final ignominy, no one mentioned in basic training that gazpacho soup is served cold, and that omission led to Rimmer's failure. Poor Rimmer, even in the face of death, declaring that his not being an admiral was someone else's tiny little fault. <laughs> and then the twist, Lister turned off the other Rimmer, but let this Rimmer think his clogs were about to be popped to wrangle the truth out of him. That's dastardly, hilarious, revealing, everything you'd want from a final episode of a series. Super. Nick, <laughs> how would you get on living with a copy of yourself, do you think? It's a, yeah, real, um, it's a real good episode. How would anyone get on with living with themselves? Series one isn't like my series, but when I had it on VHS, I did watch it a lot. But I rewatched Me Too, and then because, oh, well, Me Squared, on iPlayer, they've spelt it squared, and it's just kind of like, I always liked the, the two, because it was just like, it could be both, right? To be honest, Nick, we've, we've, we've had a thing every episode so far where we've read out the iPlayer pricey, because it's so weird like whoever wrote these things and actually interestingly since we started recording this series someone has gone into iPlayer and added bits and taken bits away and changed the blurbs but they're still mad right the one for this episode is Rimmer has discovered how to duplicate himself and leaves the quarters he shares with Lister to move in with himself which a is pretty bad writing but also be like pour some sugar on it do you know what I mean where's the jokes this episode sort of like hits the ground running because it's it, it follows on directly from the last episode so I had to re-watch Confidence and Paranoia after I watched oh, yeah, Me right. Too because I was just like it can't start like this can it <laughs> um, and then Confidence and Paranoia ends with Rimmer tricking Lister into creating another version of him um, mm. but I was watching Confidence and Paranoia going I, I'm not sure if I've ever seen this episode twice, wow, which is impossible, nice. which is impossible. You must have, I, you must have, yeah. I must have, but like, I, I had like, no, it, it's got, um, uh, is it Craig Ferguson? Yes. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. I, I basically had no memory of it. And then when, when, when I watched Me Too, I remember that being, I remember that from the comic books, those 28 minutes, they, they're so fast and they fit mm. in so many they get through that whole plot of Rimmer being with Rimmer in about two or three scenes. Yeah. And then yeah. and then when Rimmer gets led out at the end, I guess it was like time consuming to get Chris Barry to do both sides of each conversation over and over again. So they limited it to, like, on a practical level, they limited it to how many scenes that they really needed to do with that. Yeah. It zipped by and then by the time one of the Rimmers is getting led out for the other one to get switched off, it feels like there's like, a third of the episode left. And you never get any, you never feel like they've skipped any bits of Rimmer's relationship with himself deteriorating. Like every time you come back to him, it's worse, but you never go, oh, I wonder why that's happened. It's kind of yeah, inevitable, yes. right? They're really economic with it. And um, and it's, and it's you know, from someone that's like tried to write scripts and has read scripts and, and stuff like that, it's kind of like, there's always too much that you want to put in there. My memory of the story is much more complete than the actual episode. When you watch the episode, it's like, you just get the bare minimum of what you need to to tell the story, but it really works. It's, it's, it's yeah, it's really good. This script was supposed to have um, quite a few more interactions between the two rimmers, but when they went to shoot it, Paul Jackson suggested they cut a lot out or it just would have been too difficult for Ed to film. Of course. The producer going, guys, can we, let's make this easier to shoot, right? Oh, right. So that was, so, so that was, that was, that's right, is it? It would have, um, it would have taken too long. They were shooting these whole episodes in like two days. They were very fast, yeah. Yeah, so they must have just gone, oh, let's just put a cat subplot in that, as you said, in the price, it doesn't really go anywhere. Well, yeah. It's almost like he's comic relief Yeah, in a sitcom. Yeah, yeah, in yes. a sitcom where everyone's funny and it's just like, okay. Like, it's all very well having like a character who's an idiot, but he's so much of an idiot that it's just kind of like, he's almost, it's impossible for him to interact with any of the other characters because he's, he's a cat. His interactions are from the point of view that he's a cat 
and we're humans. So it's kind of like there's such a divide between them. He just sort of like floats past it. They didn't know what to do with him. And so it's such a relief that later on, it really feels a lot more even-handed and giving him that job of kind of like being being kind of like uh, the pilot. I feel like Danny John Jewell sells it though, right? Like there's, there's that scene in, in Me Squared where he's, he's, he um, says he's looking for a, a female. And Lister says, there are no women on board. And Kat replies, well, if I believed that, I'd go crazy. And then he demonstrates that he already is a bit crazy. But like, if you actually think about that exchange, that's, that is lunacy. He's lived on this ship his whole life. He knows there's no women. He knows yeah. all the other cats were left on the two ships. <laughs> What's he up to? What is he actually up to? It's almost like, actually, he wasn't written at all. It was like they just went, hey, Danny, could you just do a thing for us, do you reckon? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Danny's not the problem in, in Cat. He's almost like he's a one-joke character and they don't know what to do with him. And so he ends up with, well, in this episode, we're going to put one scene where he's going to try and have sex. And in this episode, we're going to have one scene where he's gone to the toilet. And it, do you know what I mean? And it's just sort of like, sure, sure, sure. But then later on, when when they sort of like start branching out a bit more, um, it's a bit more even-handed. And, and like by five and six, you know, he's four, five and six, three, four, five and six, <laughs> but, and maybe two. Do you prefer the the big electric guitar soloing intros to three onwards? Yes. Like it's such a fun show. And I used to watch the intro sequences with all of the clips from the series that was about to, you were about to watch. And then I would tick off yes yeah we've seen that one well what's that one you know there'd be like a clip that you haven't seen yet and you'd be like okay right it's really jarring the 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 change of like the theme tune from the first two series like when i was going basically watching them in reverse order you go from three and then all of a sudden it's this other thing um i think it's classy but i think also it really picks up in, in like the fun value from three onwards. Maybe it was a practical thing because the laughter coming from the live audience, the studio audience in series one and two, is nowhere near as deafening as, as it becomes series three onwards. So maybe it was a deliberate thing. Maybe that more fun intro was a way of them saying, look, guys, you laugh at this stuff, right? As a casual viewer, you'd sort of like tune into it and just be like, well, what is this? And then later on, you'd be like, oh, right, I know what this is. But um, I also think that they were lucky to get a second series they did a second series, it was more of the same. And the second series was obviously a bit more of a success. And then that would have given them the opportunity to be like, okay, what show is it that we actually want to make now? We've learned all of the we've learned all of these lessons from all these mistakes we've made. What do we actually want to do? And then from three onwards, it was just them trying to achieve their vision. But the first two the first two series are like it's porridge. Do you know what I mean? It's porridge on a spaceship. It's got you got you got two characters that are sharing bunks bunks with each other and they're driving each other mad, right? And that's that's the first series. And then the first two series and then the third series is when they start going out on adventures and doing stuff. Well having the having a fourth regular yeah with Crichton who's not stuck on a screen it's so freeing. I think that made a big difference to how they wrote Cap because suddenly you can do so much more with the characters. You you're not limited to having Lister Rimmer scenes bookended with Danny John Jules being a cat. You can suddenly put different combinations of people together. You can send them off on separate little missions. You know, just really play with those character dynamics. And yet in this episode, you know, they've, they've, we're at the final episode of six and they're already writing two Rimmers because they need more people in the show. Something else. Yeah. Well, having Crichton come in, he can do all of the uh, exposition if there's something like really complicated, you're not relying on kind of like Lister being all philosophical about it and kind of doing all the heavy lifting. You've got a character that's literally built for that. And it's in a way that that Cat can't possibly do that. It means that the other characters can kind of like be freed up a, a bit to just sort of be themselves. Yeah. But yeah, but me too. It's 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 really good. I, I forgot that that's where the gazpacho soup came from. But the gazpacho soup is such a, you know, horrific, haunting story. The fact that they were his last words. He performs that story so hauntingly as yeah. well, doesn't he? It's, he's great. He's so yeah. good. He <laughs> even, even something which on the page wouldn't have been funny, like, shut up, you dead git. For some reason, oh, the great. way he says it. <laughs> yeah, that's horrible. Like, really, like, really horrible. It's harsh without being expletive, you know? It doesn't feel like they pulled any punches. It feels like, God, that's a really harsh insult. God, it is. The way he says Mr. Gaspacho, it's like the most hateful thing you've ever heard, and yet it's nonsense. The way, yeah. 
the way he's absolutely screaming at himself it's just yeah that's it's really it's really horrible and it's what's interesting is that you can still sort of like tell the difference between the two rims yes you know he's 10 percent nastier or so yeah like you're still on our rim side yeah. because it's like oh he's that new guy's come along and, it, and he's got the same costume it's the same actor he would have literally filmed one bit and then walked on to the other side of the set and filmed the other bit and it was like but he's really does a good job in kind of and, and it's really subtle because you're not 100 percent sure that it's like i mean w- one of the twists would have been that our rimmer was the really horrible one yeah i think maybe if they'd have saved this series uh, this this episode for you know later on in the run they could have done something about how Rimmer spending time with Lister has sort of like softened him up and made him grow a bit. That's exactly mm. what I was about to say. Yeah, the new Rimmer hasn't spent the last couple of months all alone in the ship with with Lister. That's very nice. It, but it's slightly too early in the conception of the series for them to get away with kind of like all of these life lessons. <laughs> Do you love anime, gaming, movies, and discovering how your favorite pop culture affects everything you do? Then join us on Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. Every week you can listen in while we break down the latest pop culture news and dish on what new releases we can't get enough of. Whether you love movies, I'm going to tell you all about the uh, hopeful 4K re-release of Tron Legacy that happens. (laughs) (laughs) I'm right there with you. Or music. The music in this show is absolutely incredible. Or anime. And under this mask is another mask. (laughs) (laughs) You can discover your new favorites right here on The Anime Effect. Listen every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts, and watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or on the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. What about Lister in this episode, though? Because I, for some reason, every time I watch this episode, I kind of come up to it going, oh, no, because Craig Charles has to have that monologue in the middle about, ah, bliss, I can crack my knuckles, I can grind my teeth. But every time I watch it, I go, no, he's really good. I don't know why when I was a kid, I thought he wasn't up to scratch. Maybe it's because compared to Chris Barry, the character isn't as complex. And so the performance doesn't come across as well. But I, I love that bit. I think maybe if you were doing it today, or maybe if Craig Charles was doing it today, there'd be a little bit more self-awareness and maybe a little bit more vulnerability where he doesn't really know what to do with himself now that he's all on his own. Yeah, you're right. Or even a little bit after it where he's like... Oh, that's not the same if he's not here. But you're asking for a lot. They fit in so much in a very short yeah, amount true. of time. I did actually make some did actually make some notes. Oh wow. Right, so five AM Rimmer bumps into Lister and he he goes, uh, what are you doing up? And he goes, up, I haven't been to bed yet. He goes, it's 5.30 in the morning. And that's like the difference between them is that Rim is trying to get by on two hours sleep and he'll go to bed and he'll wake up before Lister's even thought about going to bed. And there's no reason to go to bed. And so I, th- that's something that I haven't really picked up on. Like, I was a kid when I watched it. Now I'm an adult and I don't have a bedtime <laughs> and I work nights. Uh, do you know what I mean? I wander, I wander around my flat until all hours. And, and it's easily, it's easily, especially like thinking about the pandemic as well. It's just sort of like, there was no, there was no rules to your time. And so seeing Lister sort of like wander around and he's like, it's 5.30, I've not been to bed yet. I just found that rang slightly differently. Like before the pandemic, you'd have to imagine what it would be like being in a spaceship. (laughs) (laughs) The gazpacho soup thing is such an iconic character moment. It's almost weird that it's in the first series. Yeah. I remember that mystery stretching across series and series when I was a kid. But yeah. that was just this series. They do they episode. do keep they do come back to it. There's in, maybe it's series eight, they actually show the scene mm. and they get Matt McDonald back. Uh Lister wears the, the monkey t shirt in this episode. But this is, I think I've remembered it wrong. I thought that it was originally black and white and then it became colour. But I think it was colour. And then in the second series, it goes black and white, isn't it? That's a really in-depth Am one. Am I being I... a real nerd here? <laughs> it's a lovely bit of truth, but I don't, I, we're lovers, not experts, Nick. I can't, let me quickly watch the whole of series two and I'll work it out. I, I was just like, oh, look, of all the episodes, he only wears it in the first two series. And I was just like, he's wearing that one. And it's a version of the one that he wears. I, like, I, like, 
I don't think about it every day. (laughs) In a way, the first two series are the pure ones where it's like, they're all about like, there's no aliens. It's not Star Trek. They're they're literally, he's the last human alive. That's it. They basically may as well have invented aliens because (laughs) when you watch it now... There are aliens. They're all aliens. They're, they're there are. Gelfs are. They are. Let's let's be honest with each other. They are. They, you've you've said that you can't have aliens, and then you've kind of like gone, oh well, let's invent a thing that's like an alien but isn't an alien, and then we can get around it. It's just like well, you're cheating at your own thing. The thing is, it's tedious and it's boring, and there's nothing to do. But that's a different show, isn't it? Yeah, you're right. Actually, that is that does explain the difference in in theme tune. The bleak orchestral bit is about a wee close style Sartrean nightmare of loneliness, and the the fun guitar solo version is hey we're going to visit planets and get up to scrapes because because the, because the new one is about like space exploration and adventures and all that stuff and now like you know Rimmer is hard light and he can touch things it's just like okay well you're just making excuses to make it all a lot easier for yourself You've got a crew of four in a spaceship with a computer, you know, stranded, marooned in outer space, three million years away from from planet Earth. But there's no reason for the human race to be wiped out. They could just be isolated and trying to get back home, right? That could be that. The reality of the first two series is that it doesn't matter if they get home. Nothing matters. He is literally the last human alive. There is no, there's no cure for that. He has literally got to live out his days on his own. How does he fill his time? That's a different sitcom to what it became. I like all that stuff and I'm not wishing it to go one way or the other i know what series is probably more fun and easier to write it's the one where there's a amazing adventure every week but having those characters just be like stuck with each other week in week out it's like a sitcom 2001 so that we can enshrine it in lore do you have a a favorite bit or moment or gag or joke or scene from this episode i mean we haven't even mentioned gray paint for example you know i like i like the first series because it sets up the rest of the show. I think the second series out of the two is better. It's more confident. They know what they're doing. I think they're still really finding their feet with the first series. But I think Chris Barry's brilliant in this. It's a bit when he's working out and he's he's on split screen. The bit in the cinema is really great when he keeps sitting in front of himself. Oh, so childish. <laughs> so childish. It's also really well done. The way it's filmed, the limitations of like a Doctor Who budget. Do you know what yeah. I mean? It's like it, it's like you've got these scenes where Chris Barry's interacting with himself. It's not like extensive, but it's it's really well done. There's the bit when he's in his um his new room and they're doing the exercises together. Yeah. And they film it and then they do like a close up and mm. they like film it like it's a scene. Yeah. They don't film it like it's a special effects sequence. They film it like this is how we'd film it. A couple of times this series we've talked about the editing being a bit of a hero in it. Yeah. The editor's clearly cutting around not much footage, but it, it, it's he sells it. Oh, yeah, I think the split screen's great. And I think um, Rimmer, is this the first time you see him in his Admiral's outfit? Oh, I think it might be, you know. Because Crichton paints him in the Admiral's outfit on the toilet. On the toilet. <laughs> yeah, so I think he looks incredible when he comes in at the end. And like you say, that mm. monologue at the end when he uh, thinks he's going to be switched off into the gazpacho soup stuff, it's silly. Like, my sister was never really into Red Dwarf that much, but, like, it's to the point where the other day my mum was... My sister was explaining the whole gazpacho thing to my mum. I think it's sort of like an iconic thing in British comedy. I've had gazpacho soup and I've made it and um, uh, and it's delicious and whatever. But the first thing I think of whenever I see it on a menu or hear about it, I always think about Red Dwarf first. They've ruined the soup. <laughs> Where can people find you online, Nick? Yeah, I'm on, I'm on, I'm on Twitter, which isn't Twitter, what is it, X. But um, I'm really at home on Instagram. Mm. Come and see me live. I enjoy, I enjoy gigging. So come and see me live, and then everything else is just trying to get you to come and see me live. <laughs> Are you touring in 24? Oh, yeah, I am. I've got a tour coming up in 2024. I'm doing four, about 40 dates, and it's from late March to early June. So it's like a, it's quite a, quite a long one, and I'm trying to go as many places as I can. So come and see me on tour. Thank you so much, Nick, for joining us. Thank you. Red Dwarf. Come back in Series 5 if you want to chat the more fun half of the show oh I'd love to talk about series 5 or 6 or oh I'll talk about any, <laughs> yeah. series 1 to 6 they're all great but what's really great is that it didn't start off with the best and peter out it really found its feet and got better and better and better 
and then I think it sort of like um, it maybe like plateaued a bit or you know but um, I think those first six series are just absolutely phenomenal classic British sitcom that because of the science fiction element has given it a bit more longevity than than maybe you might do like a a retro series of British Empire to see what they're up to now but you don't you wouldn't have followed them for 30 years yeah you're right maybe that's it maybe it's the amazing writing the performances I reckon we could talk about this with you for another six or seven hours before we got tired but we've got to stop at some point so do come back sure thank you so much yeah no I really enjoyed that thank you goodbye Oh, Nick Helm, what a lovely what a lovely chat that was. Yeah, so nice to have Nick on. I'm not sure we, we did a deep dive into the episode line by line, scene by scene, but that hardly matters when they when when we're having such a nice time. We had some serious insights there. I loved uh, I loved so much of what you had to say about it actually. I won't go over it because people have literally just literally heard it. Literally just heard it. But I think if if we were gonna go over a few things that we didn't get to in the chat, you could almost go through this episode character by character. It feels like it's four characters who have quite separate journeys on yeah. this, right? We talked about Cat, it's and Nick, Nick talked about the fact that, that Cat doesn't have much to do. I think he was... Yeah, he's... he's what, what, is, what is Cat up to in this episode? He's, he's separating the scenes in order to facilitate the passing of time without spending lots more money on duplicate rim filming, I reckon. Uh, ah. I, I, think, I think functionally that's what's going on with the Cat scene. He's got a quest, which we know isn't going to go anywhere, because as you said, there's nowhere for it to go. Yeah, of course. Those scenes are an addendum to the conversation Paul Jackson had yeah. that we mentioned earlier on, where he went, you can't have this much... Rimmer interaction. Exactly. It's too expensive. Uh, so to which Grant and Naylor will have turned around and gone, well, we've not, we've got four minutes to fill then. What are we going to do? And Paul Jackson went, get Danny to do something. Just get Put Danny, Danny on roller skates. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Let's talk about Holly a little bit though. Because I am fascinated by this thing. And yes. I do think it goes away when, I guess, the show opens up to other characters and other planets and, and, and other adventures off ship. Mm. But that theme... It genuinely hasn't occurred to me until this watching why Holly is doing it. I've always just accepted that Holly's a senile prankster and that's why he pulls these hilarious japes all the time. But if you actually consider his speech about why Rimmer's there, as opposed to anyone else, like Kachansky earlier on in the series, yeah, then yeah. then all these pranks really do make sense. The idea that you can keep someone sane by torturing them, essentially. Yeah, he's keeping them on their toes. He's introducing stakes because there aren't really any stakes I mean there are it's not going mad is the stakes yeah, right so. but well I don't know what would the outcome be if you just let Lister go mad okay what what then <laughs> I'm sure there's some future serum that that cures insanity space madness I really enjoy taking this stuff to its kind of insanely literal conclusion the fact that he, he'd owe 180 billion quid for leaving a light on in his bathroom <laughs> They've done the maths on this. It really works. A bit that I think is weird is the his opening gag at the end of the uh, the little introduction for new viewers. We've talked before about this being Seinfeld in space. This really is because it's a gag about after eight mints. And what's particularly bizarre about it is that it it's totally wrong in relation to everything that we then see. So the gag is we've we've got enough food to last thirty thousand years. We've only got one after eight minutes and everyone's too polite to take it. Now, I know I'm overthinking this because <laughs> it's just a throwaway bit of social commentary from uh, 1988. But we literally open on a scene which demonstrates, you know, you've got Lister throwing Rimmer's textbook in the bin, got Rimmer claiming the blue tack from Lister's poster. There is no way these guys are being too polite to take the last after eight minutes. No way Cat is going to refrain. Exactly, exactly. No way. No way Lister's going to. No way Rimmer's going to. Like, none of them, none of the people who could eat a chocolate, actually, he can't because he's hologrammatic, but even so, like, if he could eat a hologrammatic after eight, he would because he'd feel he deserved it because he's the rank, highest ranking officer. Lister would not care enough to not eat it and Cat would just eat it anyway. Another brilliant Danny John Jules moment, just sidestepping briefly, when Rimmer's having his, having his little I'm about to die meltdown, and Lister says, you're not a nothing. And Kat just goes, he is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just... Yeah, I really do oh like that they had God. Kat in that final scene, his little shoulder pillow and, and his, his get on with it, basically. Yeah, yeah. And then Kat doubles down in the next line. Yeah, he does, yeah. He's not letting it lie. It's amazing. It's just the perfect little bitter 
bitter aftertaste to that quite emotional moment. I think you need it though, don't you? Like if, yeah, if we're talking yeah, about... Uh, absolutely. Uh, we're, let's talk about classical theatre, John. We are trained and educated after mm. all. A character that appears between scenes and then comes in to comment on the ending, that's a chorus. Is Cat a Greek chorus in this? No, because he's not commenting on the actual stuff. He's completely he's completely isolated. <laughs> well, what we're talking about. <laughs> he's going he's going on the character, but yeah, not so much the not so much the plot itself. Yeah, yeah. he's yeah he's not interested enough to give us a summary of the uh, the social and cultural implications of. Uh, of what's about to happen because there is no society or culture left. I guess <laughs> yeah, this is what this is all a chorus can be. <laughs> that's when, right. When he is a chorus. When you have one human. <laughs> the chorus is just someone going around going hello. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> anyone? nothing means anything. That's the that's the extraordinary thing. Nothing means anything at all, other than to Lister and Rumor. Why has it never struck me how bleak this show is? When you take a step back, I guess it's because it's got jokes in it. But mm. but it is right. Like what an it's unbelievably really... hopeless situation. Yeah, the bit where everyone dies. Like, that's pushing things a bit, isn't it? I know it's done very cheaply and it's very 80s and it's a BBC budget, but every time I watch it, it reminds me, probably for those budgetary reasons, it reminds me of Threads, the 1980s TV movie about a nuclear explosion in, I think it's in in Sheffield, there's a nuclear war, and you see the aftermath of the nuclear war and how they're all scratching a living in this kind of post-apocalyptic nuclear winter it's it's deeply 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 disturbing waiting to waiting to die yeah but there's something about the way that that scene is shot that just makes me think of threads and that's a crazy thing to put in a in a half hour sitcom the, the, a load of characters who you have met just dying horribly we know it's happened already we do know it's happened but actually the way we're introduced to it is the the piles of dust isn't it and and um mm. which is kind of i mean that is bleak when you think about it logically but it's funny because of the way it's set up. But this is just literally going, right, here's here's the moment that 168 people were wiped out. It's such a it's a shocking moment as well. It's a jump scare. Yeah. They say yeah, they say it's a leak, not an explosion. So you could be picturing it happening over like a longer time frame, just yeah. people getting very ill from radiation. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, and this is actually really violent and sudden. Yeah. Whatever it is, this cadmium two stuff, it literally just it does that to people, but it barely causes any damage to the infrastructure of the ship. Discuss. We're not that sort of podcast. No, we're not, are we? What about grey paint? Ocean grey, <laughs> military grey. And not even Rimmer can tell the difference. Within five minutes of the first episode, we had the the chicken soup nozzle dispenser cleaner yeah. tube, the 14F and the 14B. Yeah, yes. yeah. This, it yeah. feels like the same gag, right? Yeah, like, it kind of is. Yeah. Being very officious about something he doesn't really get or doesn't actually have control over. And I love that writing, because that really, like, in all honesty, it's a bit of a cheap gag. It's a bit silly that we're, we're asked to believe that Rimmer would get confused having insisted on the thing. Yes. But it does speak volumes to his character. Exactly, yeah. And it reminds us, it, it's, a, it's a timely reminder of why he might actually wind himself up quite a lot <laughs> if confronted with the, with the reality of his life. Again, i got to just keep remembering that he's not clever either. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm not clever enough to come up with you filthy piece of distended rectum as a as a as an insult. I believe that kind of wordsmith three takes intellect, <laughs> right? Could probably manage shut up, you dead git. That's uh... shut up, you dead git. I do love that. That's that's all he is at the end of the day. He's just a dead git <laughs> <laughs> to himself. That is his. That's how he perceives himself. It's incredible. <laughs> we've we've um we've achieved it, John, Alex. We're we're at the end of series one. Do you do you have a, a standout moment from this series? I'd have to say it's doing this podcast with you guys. Ah, that's so nice. Thank you. That's so, nice. so sweet. What do we think of the last word of this series? Is it an okay gag? It's it's sort of an inevitable gag, isn't it? It's, <laughs> it's... guess so. I don't know if it's I don't know if it's technically working as hard enough, but the episode itself is as hard as it should rather. But the episode itself has worked so hard and given us so much that I can forgive it. And to me, the the final moment isn't it's not about super. It's about the look on Rimmer's face when we cut back to him. Yeah, definitely. And that that really sets up. Yeah, I want to see more of this. Yeah, actually, do you know what you've? That's really interesting. As as a final moment of a show that might not have carried on. It's almost a bit weird, isn't it? You can imagine some Sisyphean 
repetitious thing where these two are just destined to be on the spaceship together until they're dead. Yeah. Until the batteries run out. Just just constantly bickering, constantly going round and round. I promise, I promise I'm not going to insult you. And then an insult. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's so many lovely moments across this series, but I think I think a favourite bit for me is probably is probably the Everybody's Dead Dave scene, just because it's so iconic. I I constantly say it in life and to people who have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> That's the loneliness of the sci-fi geek, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah, isn't it? So many lines. It's been a, it's been so fun going over this series and realizing where all those lines, all those things that I just say yeah, in, in everyday conversation, where they've come from. Yeah. Just remembering, which, yeah, obviously I knew a lot of them were Red Dwarf. Some I had genuinely forgotten were from Red Dwarf. I knew they were from something. Yeah. Um, and then others going, oh, it's this episode. Yeah, right. Oh, yes, that's the context. Yeah. That's what geekery is, though, right? Like, if I hear someone else, just just even if, I'm, if I happen to pick up on a conversation uh, that someone else is having, and I hear one of them going, ah, Chamita, I'm like, that's a kindred spirit right there. Mm, yeah, yeah, 100%. That's nice. That's reassuring. It is. So what's your favourite bit of season one? I like I like Trixie writing. Mm-hmm. I like a bit of Christopher Nolan, some some of his stuff, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. So I'm going to go with the repeated, saying, the repeated scene of Future Echoes, yeah. Nice. Actually, no. Do you know what? No. No, that's not true. That's what I, I feel I should say, because that's that's like the showier, the showier element of the writing in that episode. Actually... My favourite moment is in that episode, but it's the bit where Kat says, I just broke my tooth. Because that's the real twist. That that moment. <laughs> yeah, and it's right. not a joke. I'm sorry it's not a funny moment. But in terms of capturing imagination and mm. sealing an audience in to understanding the fate of these characters, that actually through his actions, he has enabled the exact thing yeah. they wanted to prevent. Yeah, that's, nom, 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 nom. that's that's delicious to me. That's really good stuff that. It's such a bleak series in so many ways, isn't it? It's going to get it's going to get more romp, rompy from here, not immediately, it but is. in time. Not immediately. Next uh, series, we're going to have a bit of a break and come back hot with Crichton. Oh yes. Yeah, which is going to be amazing. Yeah, we've got some stonking guests lined up for next series as well. We sure have. But no spoilers. We'll put out a trailer. No spoilers. Thanks for listening, everyone. Yeah, thank you. I'm going to go make myself a whiskey straight with ice and lemonade and a cherry and a slice of lemon. (laughs) Nice. It's better.